This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us this morning. I've been doing the Smart Investing Show here for 27 years in San Diego and looking to do another 27 years, hopefully as well. If you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling or holding, please call in at 866-577-577. 2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And as always, that I get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, final opinion about what you want to talk about. Well, Chase, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good to be here. Always great to be here. We got a lot of a lot of things to talk about. Uh, let's kind of kick off the show talking about retailers because uh, and this is one thing that came to light uh, this past week that retailers are going to get hurt because of the back to school season not opening. Now, I know there's still different school districts talking about it. I think even here in San Diego, there's talk that maybe they will, maybe they won't. But it's it's hurting the back-to-school sales because why would you get back-to-school closed when you're not going to go to that? And what's amazing, I didn't think about this, but it accounts for about 20% of a retailer's sales. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been there, – there's two big things in, in retail, the holiday season mm-hmm. and back-to-school shopping. And I know back-to-school shopping is actually supposed to do – pretty decently this year in terms of the amount of spend but the issue is a lot of that has shifted to technology yeah so it's not really going to help these retailers unfortunately because why is little tommy need a new shirt if he's not going to see his new friends maybe little tommy has holes in his shirt i don't don't know know. (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah and and there's other thing too that's kind of going on with that and and uh because also too we do or now we've seen and we we've talked about this i think a few weeks ago that not as many businesses are going under as, as it appears to be in, in later years. I think 2008 was like 10 times what it is now, but there's still retailers that are going to be going under. And this is going to hurt the existing retailers temporarily because there's going to be some liquidation sales. And actually my fiance, uh, Christina, she's very upset because at Steinmark, one of our favorite stores is liquidating, going bankrupt. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's a, Tough time for retail, of course. As yeah. you said, you know, they, they were forced to shut down in many places. Steinmart, I know Lord & Taylor is another one, Lucky Brands. Uh, Pier 1 was one that went bankrupt earlier in the year. And, and they were saying the interesting part is there might be more Chapter 7 bankruptcies than Chapter 11 bankruptcies. So a lot of these companies might not even be able to reorganize. Right. Because nobody wants Pier 1 assets right now. Why, why would I want to buy Pier one locations. And, no. and, and let's get the numbers right because uh, chapter 11 is where they can reorganize and still exist. Chapter seven, they completely close down, never to return. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, companies like Macy's, uh, GM, uh, gosh, what, Delta, Toys R Us well, is still around. So, I, I yeah. think they did go chapter yeah. 11, but those are all examples of companies that go chapter 11 bankruptcy. Oh, and the airlines. And the airlines. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, yep. And they go bankrupt and then they reorganize, come back out of bankruptcy, but they, you might. And 10 years from now, Pier 1 might be a thing of the past. 
Uh, yeah, it very well could be. Um, and, and sometimes I wonder if the name is still out there and somebody can buy the name, but it's, it's just different. Very important to understand when it comes to bankruptcy law, seven versus 11. Again, 11 is just reorganized and seven is when they're completely gone. Um, yeah, and I was going to say too, just on the liquidation sales, I mean, it is very, very interesting. A lot of times, you know, people look at, well, what, how's it going to affect the overall market? I mean, if you think about a lot of these companies, so we talk about like lucky brands, they're, they're going bankrupt. Now they're doing all these liquidation sales. So yeah, they're, they're selling jeans at a very, very cheap price. Well, why would you go to, let's say American Eagle or, you know, I was going to say Costco, that's not a very good jean provider, but you know, like a Macy's or somewhere <laughs> right. else and buy jeans when the, you have these liquidation sales where it's like, wow, I'm getting jeans for half off. Mm -hmm. That hurts other retailers because now to be competitive, they have to lower their prices to match the sales. So let's point out the positive is that as these companies liquidate and they go bankrupt, there's going to be less places to go to. I'm going to say two, three months down the road because they're going to sell all their products. Then if you want to go shopping, which people still do. We're not going to do 100% online shopping. You're going to have to go to the existing stores, the ones that made it, and then they're going to be in a good position because of the fact that less competition. Yeah. And, and the difficulty is picking up that market share and still being able to have positive cash flow yep. or still having enough time to really recoup that. And it's very difficult, of course, for those large retailers right now because their cash flow is not doing so hot to begin with. So being able to maintain that business, this is why, again, it comes back to the balance sheet. And I still am very strong on the point that the right retailers three years from now, I think are going to be tremendous investments yep. because we talk about all these liquidations. Okay. So yeah, it hurts the margins right now in the short term, but long term, as you said, there's available market share. If you can steal that market share and gain that new customer, when prices go back up, your margins return, now you have a less larger customer base, you could do very, very well. And, and as we said, we do not believe people are going to want to shop online forever. It just doesn't make sense. No, and, and we've talked about before in the past, and I always want to bring it up because new listeners and so forth, is that you've got to create an experience for consumers to come into those stores and buy. And that's what the smart ones are doing. Um, also too, I think the malls, a lot of malls will be gone, but I think there's gonna be some great malls that stay because again, they create that great experience because we're not going to stay home, watch TV all day, work from home all day, order through Uber for food, um, order on Amazon. You're not going to do that. You're going to say, Hey, I want to get out. I mean, we've kind of seen this a little bit with people jumping out now. Like I don't want to be home all day long. I want to go out and see people and do things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it is important. And just kind of last point on this, I guess, is don't think that you're going to wait to buy the retailers when things are going back up, because I think things will move very, very quickly once things do return to more normal. And once these other liquidation sales are done, I, I think probably beginning of next year, I think retailers can do very well. So I, I think right now is a good time to be looking at the right retailers. And don't get me wrong, it's going to be extremely volatile. I think through mm -hmm. the rest of this year is, oh, we're reopening. Oh, there's more cases. Oh my gosh, this is up and down, up and down. But if you look two to three years down the road, good fundamentally sound retailers with strong balance sheets good valuations. By the way, they could reinstate some of those dividends that could be quite yes. juicy as well. Uh, retail, I think, is a very, very interesting place to look. Yeah. And people don't realize that's true investing. If you're just saying, well, I'm going to wait till that. I'm going to wait and try to time it and so forth. You're not investing. You're speculating. Investing is actually buying a good business, saying I'm going to hold this for three to five years. Speaking of holding something for three, three to five years, uh, Apple. I, I mean, we, we got to bring it up. I know some people are going to disagree with us. Uh, the stock it has just torn up to, to new highs over this past year, and it's now above the $2 trillion market cap level. And I think it was up another $60 billion on top of that this past week as well. Uh, the company now trades at 
31 times at next year's earnings, which by no means is a good value. Big question out there. Do you buy it now? What are you doing? Why is this happening? I, you know, and it, it's so funny when you, you talk to people about it. Oh, no, no, no. It, it's different this time. And oh, okay. we've, we've said that over and over again. And it, it is the most dangerous words when it comes to investing. And again, Apple is a great product. We're, we're streaming right now on, on Facebook Live on an iPhone and an iPad. I'm, I'm using my MacBook here. So I, I like Apple. And I have an Apple Watch not wearing it right now. It's at home. Apple products are fantastic. But it still comes down to the valuations. And this is just too expensive. And also, too, let, let's not forget... There's this little-known country out there. Which one's that? China. Oh, yeah. China. China. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think people <laughs> forgot about China. China, and, and people say, oh, Apple can move their supply chain. I, I think that will be a potential problem that's going to be costly if they do need to move their supply chain. But I think they can get around that. Right. My biggest concern with Apple comes down to the demand side from China. And people say, oh, Apple's doing great in China. They are right now. But do you really think the Chinese government, the communist government of China, do you really think that they want Apple to do better than Huawei and Xiaomi? Mm-hmm. Nah. No, I, I don't think they do. And especially since we don't let Huawei into our borders in the United States. What happens if they come and say, oh, sorry, Apple, until the United States lets Huawei into the U.S., we're not going to let you in our market. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's just something you have to think about. If that was right. the case, wow, that would decimate the stock. Yeah, and, and again, right now, relations with China not going very well. Uh, President Trump has said, yeah, it, it's not a big deal to him because he's not he's not worried about Apple. He's worried about doing the best thing for the country longer term. And if Apple gets stuck in the, in the crossfire, well, I'm sorry that happens. But you as a shareholder, you should not say, well, okay, it's 31 times at earnings. That is looking for a perfect scenario. If something like this happens where China says, and, and again, maybe it's even quietly, they kind of tell people, don't buy Apple products, don't buy Apple products. We got Huawei. And by the way, Huawei is now what the biggest phone company in the world. Based uh, off their shipments. Based well, off their, it was off of their, their not their sales, but I think their shipments. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think Samsung was number two and Apple's number three. Yeah. So, I mean, you got, you got to look at that as well. But you have the stock trades at 31 times earnings. And, and the reason why we're having this, we know that there's people out there trading stocks that know nothing about it now, and they're just buying something because it goes higher, and they buy because it goes higher. Same thing's gonna happen to tech boom and bust. Eventually people say, wait a minute, why are we spending all this money in this? It's not good, and the momentum goes the other way. Um, I, I'm gonna say we could see Apple Maybe be down fifty percent at one point because it can swing way to the other side. Well, it's 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 concerning because we, we talked too about Apple that they've done great this year. Mm-hmm. As more people have done this work at home trend, more people have had to buy you know Apple products, the iPads, the, the MacBooks to work yep. from home. Well, what happens once that demand is no longer there? And and Apple does have a thing going with service revenue, but that's only going to provide so much growth. But that's in jeopardy too. There's a lot of talk about the service revenue with I guess Am, uh, they're giving Amazon like a noise like thirty percent. They were giving Amazon 15%. Well, now that's out. I'll be able to say, well, why can't I get the 15%? So that could really hurt the service revenue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we just want to point out that there's a lot of things to think about with Apple. And by no means is it a good value. And you cannot argue that in any way that it's a value company at this point. Yeah. And there's people argue, oh, but it's this and it's that and so forth. I heard the same things back in the tech bust and boom, where it's like, oh, yeah, but this, that and so forth. They justify the high price. When you look at basic fundamentals, based on cash flow, based on anything, it's it's pricey, and be aware of that. And we'll, we'll see. If it falls 50%, hey, maybe we'll look at Apple at that time. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great company. You can't say it's not. But 
what are you paying for that company? And I did want to bring up real quickly, we've talked about this in the past, but the concentration of these companies, Apple is now 7% of the entire S&P 500 index by itself. It's 14% of the NASDAQ 100. I mean, it is just completely dominating these indexes. So if Apple were to fall 50%, 20% even, Oh, yeah. That's going to have an impact on the index. Oh, yeah. It's going to hurt the index a lot. So let's talk about uh, investing in real estate. We're not a real estate show, but we obviously do look at all investments. We do have actually a, a real estate in our portfolio. But people often talk about how they they like uh, about how great investing in real estate is and, and how it is so much less risk in the stock market. Well, here's an interesting number uh, for you. Existing home sales were reported yesterday. The data showed that the median price of a home climbed 8.5% annually. But based on nominal prices, it was a record. But let's talk about the crazy part that they didn't bring up and no, most people don't realize about, and that's after inflation. I mean, the after inflation return, remember the, the housing bubble in 2006? I think people tend to forget about that. And I think the reason people forget about it, too, is because when housing prices crashed, a lot of people didn't sell their homes because they were homes and they held on right. to them. But if you compared the inflation-adjusted prices today versus the peak in 2006, you're up 3.4%. That, that's not an annualized return. Total return. That is a total return of 3.4% on the median price of homes. And of course, median means there's going to be some homes that did better, mm -hmm. other homes that have not done as well, though. I mean, there's many people I know that would have bought in 2006, let's say, they're still underwater based on an inflation-adjusted basis, and maybe even on a non-inflation-adjusted <laughs> basis, depending what they bought. And I know there's real estate people out there saying, oh, you guys are crazy and so forth. That's not the real numbers. Again, we're talking about the, the median price. We're talking also nationwide here, not here in San Diego, not because you did a great deal and so forth. There are great deals out there. The other thing that doesn't take into account is that when you have that real estate, do not forget that you have uh, uh, property taxes, you have insurance on that. You have maintenance, repairs, upkeep, and so forth. So that is maybe you did a remodel. Remodel, yeah. So there, there's a lot of things to it as well. So uh, and again, real estate is is another investment, and you have to understand what's going to go on with it. And right now, it is booming. Um, actually, I sold my house. I'm not going to buy another one. Uh, I'm going to rent because I think we're at the peak, and maybe it goes on for another four or five months. I don't know. But when I looked at the cost of actually doing what we just talked about, well, okay, I can buy this house. I can then pay a lot in property taxes. My insurance by renting is one-tenth of what it was when I was buying a house. Uh, that's not there any longer. And, and it's so funny because the, uh, the air conditioning went out. Oh, hey, uh, Mr. Landlord, uh, my is not work. Okay, we'll send somebody out. Like, I was so happy. <laughs> it's like, I'm paying for it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the best part, you don't have to pay. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is just, you know, so important to bring out. And it, people, oh, you hate real estate. I don't hate real estate. No. We, we have a real estate investment trust in the portfolio, a very important public REIT. We like real estate for the right price. Yes. And and if you are looking at buying real estate, the problem I have with people is if you're buying a home for yourself, sometimes you may not care about the investment return. You just want that house. Okay, that that's fine. You, you know, that's an expense. That's right. not an investment. But people, when they're talking about, oh, it's such a great investment, this and that, and but they don't crank the numbers. That's where my problem ensues is if you are going to actually invest in real estate, what you have to do is you have to look at what I like to call the price to rent ratio yeah. and say, okay, if I buy this house, what could I rent it out for? What's my cash flow return? Is this a fair price for that home? It's almost like a PE ratio that we look yeah. at when we buy stocks. There has to be more of a process, but the problem is people buy real estate and they say, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well because I'm buying real estate. 
That is a big problem, as we showed with the 2006 housing bubble. Mm-hmm. That's what led to a lot of people just losing their shirts then. Yeah, and, and you're right, because if, if you're you know going to grow a family, you want to get a certain school district, and you, you want to be in a certain area, you're going to be there for 20 years, yeah, you, you should probably definitely buy, because it's going to lock you in, and you want to stay there. But if you're looking at as for an investment, like, oh, this is a great time. This is a great time to sell. And you have to realize a great time to sell means it's not a great time to buy. <laughs> it makes no sense. Um, so so that's what I'm going to wait, and especially with California. I mean, California has uh, a lot of issues, um, and there are people leaving California. So, again, real estate is supply-demand. And if too many people start leaving and they're selling their houses, the supply could increase and the demand may decrease. Not a good scenario for growing investments. And it's interesting. I, I had a comment on, on one of my posts recently on Facebook about how people were leaving California and we were insinuating because of the high taxes. That That's one reason for it. So that's kind of the top end of the spectrum, people leaving California. But on the bottom end of the spectrum, people are leaving California because of the affordability of housing. Well, that's a problem as well because people are leaving because they can't afford the houses. So that's not going to do well for housing prices because yeah. there's no demand at that level. So what has to happen is prices have to come down to create that higher demand, which isn't good for real estate investors. Again, unless you understand what right. you own. And I am going to step out here and make a prediction that by 2021, this whole COVID-19 thing is going to be not top news any longer. Um, and rates will go up. And that's going to cost the price of a home to go up because of actually payments on it. So that could reduce the demand. So you just got to be careful. And again, I've talked to some people like, yeah, I sold my house at a great price. I go, and did you buy another one? Yeah, I did. Well, congratulations. <laughs> you didn't do any of the benefit there. So, <laughs> anyways, I, I looked over and said, we got a lot of phone calls here. So let's jump to the call. Some great topics there. Uh, you want to call in. Uh, phone number is 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866 866- 577-2473. And as always, get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, but no opinion about what you want to look at. Well, let's go out to uh, Carlsbad first and talk, talk with Don. Don, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, good morning. Um, after that brief discussion about Apple, I don't know where I should sell it or not now. You got me worried. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, you look at it, and it's good to be worried because when you're worried, you actually do look at, you know, uh, things that you should be doing. So I'm glad we got you worried, hopefully other people. And if you can go through the numbers and justify that, yeah, this is something that I, uh, you know, do want to have here, then you keep it, but understand the numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly like I'm, you know, uh, getting rich off the dividend, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What's their dividend yield now, isn't it? Like 0.8% or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm interested in uh, your analysis of uh, Lockheed Martin. Okay. And do you hold that or looking to buy that? Uh, I do hold it. I've held it for a while, and I've I've seen a nice uh, uh, profit. And uh, so I'm actually thinking about buying some more, but I don't know whether I, value-wise, whether it's it's the right time for me to do that. And uh, percentage-wise right now, how much does it make up of your portfolio? Um, probably about 7 8%. Yeah, I, I mean, not even knowing the numbers, I would not say add to it because that's you could become very over-concentrating that company very quickly. Uh, but let's look at the numbers here for you. Coming again is Lockheed Martin Corporation, symbol LMT. Uh, good start here, Don. The P.E. ratio is 17.1, well below the industry at 46 uh, price to sales, 1.7, slightly above the industry at 1.5. Uh, 
no price attainable book value. That's because they have a lot of goodwill on the balance sheet. <clears throat> that seems to be true for a lot of these big contractors. Uh, we also see price of cash flow is 14. That's very good because the industry is at uh, 33. Uh, we do see uh, they pay a dividend of 2.5% and only use 42% of their earnings to pay that out. So I think that dividend is very safe. We also see that sales are up 9.4% year over year. Industry was down 1.1 and earnings for Lockheed Martin up 12%. Industry down 61. So I'm liking what I'm seeing so far here on Lockheed Martin. Uh, I, I spoke too soon. Current ratio 1.3 versus the industry at 1.4. Debt to equity, 337% versus 138%. And sometimes it can be from financing, but I know governments don't usually finance, I don't believe. So you want to understand why is their debt to equity so high? Because that scares me being that high. Could be a reason for it. And I think I also just found the reason. Return on equity is 195% versus 10 for the industry. Perhaps they have a very low equity, which would cause a very high debt to equity. And then you have to understand, well, why is the equity so low? So always things you got to do here, Don. We can't give you everything exactly. You know, it's going to say it's a good buy here until we get those right numbers. Uh, net profit margin, 10.3 versus 3.3. That's good. Uh, receivable turnover, 4.9 versus 4.6. And inventory turnover, 15 versus 2.5. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, current price here for Lockheed Martin, $389.57. 52-week high, $442.53. And 52-week low, $266.11. I must say that the defense companies, gosh, I think before this whole COVID thing, I knew they were way overpriced. I think during this pullback could have been some yeah. great opportunities in these companies. Because if I do look forward to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $26.55. That would give us a target sell price of $430.11. So still above that current price. I, I will tell you the debt to equity concerns me a little bit. Um, there, I, I will say there's another defense company that we like a little bit better than this one. Not going to give that away. Somebody might have to call in and, and see what one it is. But uh, the, the valuations look good. Just that balance sheet's a concern there, Don. Yep. So, yeah. Well, are you, and, and also, too, you do hold, I think you said, 7 or 8%. So you want to kind of watch that, too, because it, it, it just if that were to turn and go down, it would hurt you quite a bit with an 8% holding of uh, uh, Lockheed Martin there. So be careful. All right, Don? Okay. I understand. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You know, uh, Don brought up the Apple dividend. And yeah. It just made me wonder. So what is it now? Do you have any guesses? Uh, I think about 1.1, 1.2. is the dividend wow. yield. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, people that bought it years ago, yeah, your, your dividend yield is higher. But now if you're buying the stock, the dividend's not pretty. And also, by the way, if you sell Apple and you had a nice dividend on it, you reinvest in another company that has a better dividend yield, well, your actual yield is much, much higher. Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is not a dividend story at all anymore. No. I mean, I remember when we were looking at this company years ago, we are getting, I think, a 2 2.5% yield yeah. on it. This is just no dividend at all. So, and again, if you pay this high price for the stock, and the stock could go to 500, I mean, you're going to get a very low dividend. <laughs> and then if it go, drops down even 20, 30%, you're stuck with that low dividend. And now you've lost 20, 30% on your investment. What's well, that? The uh, 52 week high is now $499.47. So, it almost what is it? $499.47 was the 52 week high. So, Did it hit that yesterday? I, didn't, I, didn't, I mean, we don't uh, want yeah. to watch it anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, I, I, was, I was talking to somebody on Facebook as well about the debt to equity of Apple. And I hadn't looked at it in a while. It's now 156.9%. Is that because their equity is falling or their debt's rising? I think they've, they've done a lot of stock buybacks, but that's okay. also one reason their earnings per share has increased. So, I mean, it's just things that I don't want to spend the whole show talking about Apple, but it's just things that, that you really have to understand these numbers with Apple. There, there are some underlying concerns. Yes. Yeah. 
All right, phone numbers, uh, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to, let's go to another John in Coronado. John, you're the Smart Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hi, guys. Tell you what, I'm looking at a stock, Thermo Fisher. It's uh, in the medical space. Okay. And do you hold that or just kind of looking at it? Yeah, I hold it. You know, it's, it's had a great run. It's, you know, way into the 400s now. Um, actually, I kind of wonder if it's not going to be a split candidate coming up here. The stock's gotten, you know, pretty expensive for uh, the ind- individual investor to hold. Um but I, I still think it has good value in its uh, in its business space. Yep. And and you bring up another thing we'll have to talk about, maybe do a post on, about the whole split candidate there and what that does. Uh, I think you're mm-hmm. smart enough, you've been around for a while, no, that really doesn't do anything uh, as far as right. the, the value. But there's people like, oh, it's split, oh, this is great. And, the, and these Robinhood investors, they dry the price up again. <laughs> well, we won't talk about that now. <laughs> let's take a look at Thermo. Thermo Fisher Scientific Incorporated, uh, symbol TMO. Uh, PE ratio 46, but sold the industry at 49, pretty high. Uh, price to sales does, does look pretty good, though 6.5 versus 7.5. No price to tangible book value, same as the industry. And again, I bet you they do a lot of acquisitions, causing high goodwill, is my guess. Uh, price to cash flow 28, uh, that is below the industry at 37. We do see a small dividend here of 0.21. Uh, they use 9% of their earnings to pay that small dividend. That's kind of a surprise. Uh, we do see sales are up 5.6% year over year, industry up 5.2, earnings per share climbed by 5.5, industry was down 12.8. Looking at the balance sheet here, current ratio 2.6 versus 2.3, that is good. Debt to equity 71, that's higher than the industry at 53, but 71, I'm, I'm okay with that. We do see return on equity is 12.7, just under the industry at 13.2. Net profit margin is 14.2 close to the industry at 15.1, and then receivable turnover at 15.6 versus 5.3, and inventory turnover 4.2, double the industry at 2.8. Chase, how about the earnings going forward? So current price here for Thermo Fisher Scientific Inc. is $428.57, right near that 52-week high of $429.92, and well off the 52-week low of $250.21. Now, if I look forward to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $12.98. Unfortunately, that would give us a target sale price of just $210.28. So it's a little pricey here. And the, the, the concern I have here as well, John, is the, the discrepancy again between the gap and the non-gap numbers. I mean, if I look at 2019, the non-gap numbers were $12.35 and the gap numbers are $9.17. And if I go out to 2021, it's the same thing. The non-gap numbers, $16.50. And again, those gap numbers is $12.98. So I'm not sure what they're backing out on the, the pre-exempt side, but it is something that, that I would be concerned about. Yes. Yeah, I just want to know, what okay. what are they trying to hide there maybe, you know? All right. All right? I'll take a look at it. Thanks, guys. Okay, John. Good talking to you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866 866- Five seven seven, two four seven three. Let's go out to Ramona and speak with Russ. Russ, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, Brent Chase. Um, I have a, a company uh, with a ticker symbol UCO that I'm kind of interested to get your opinion of. 
Okay, and when I pulled it up, I, I'm getting that the Reuters does not cover this. Chase, are you getting the same thing? Yeah, it looks like it's a type of index. Yeah, it looks like it's a ProShares Ultra Bloomberg Crude Oil. Is that correct, uh, Russ? Uh, yes, I, I was wondering. It looks like it's an ETF. Uh, it, it appears to be, usually we see ProShares, and what I'm trying to wonder, does Alter mean it's a hedge on the other side, a bet against its falling? Uh, and I kind of forget how they did that. We, I used one years ago. Um, do you hold this now currently, Russ, or, or looking at trying to get into it? Uh, I don't hold it. Uh, a, a friend uh, mentioned it, and I, I told him I'd look into it and see what I could learn about it. Okay. And uh, so, so he, did you guys on Chase, I said? Yeah, it, it says the fund seeks daily investment results uh, that correspond to twice the daily performance, whether positive mm. or negative, of its corresponding benchmark. Yeah, and I think when they say ultra short, that's when it's shorting it. This one is the ultra because they're doubling the potential gain. So okay. if you think on this one that oil is going to go up, you're going to supposedly probably do twice as good. So if oil goes up uh, $4 a barrel, uh, you should the equivalent of going $8 a barrel. And I, I don't see what the, you get a price on it. I don't even see a price on it. Yeah. I, and I was going to point out, so I mean, the current price is $32 and 60 cents. And of course, you know, oil was quite high in 2015. Uh, just for curiosity's sake, so I looked at what the price of this index was back in 2015. It was $1,338 was the uh, the price, price back in 2015. And, and so and I now mean, it's what? $32. Yeah. Wow. That's that So, I mean, people might look at that and say, hey, that's a great value, great opportunity to buy oil. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you too, Russ, one, one thing that concerns me is we thought oil is going to turn around for quite some time. Then the pandemic came. This ETF is not like buying oil. They're buying options on the oil yeah. and derivatives and so forth where, I mean, this could very well, if the derivatives and options don't do well, this fund could disappear even though the oil oh, is yeah. still a thing. So you have to be very, very cautious with this. And and to be quite frank with you, this could go to a hundred. Yeah. You know, if oil turns around, wow, this could do very, very well. But this is an immense gamble here. I, I, I get very concerned playing the commodity market, especially when you're playing the commodity market with options. And if you do want to play strictly the oil market because you think oil is going to go up, I, I believe the ETF for oil is USO, and I think it's the United States Oil is what it stands for. That's a pure play. So if oil's at $42 a barrel and it goes up to $46 a barrel, you're going to make about 10%. If it drops, you'll do that. So if you want a pure play in oil, that's the way to do it. Um, I think if you're going to do that, look at the oil companies. You're going to find one that's a good buy, uh, but be very careful. We believe there's some oil companies out there that will be cutting their dividend pretty soon. Yeah. And, and and the other thing too is a lot of people don't realize how oil works. Oil goes off of contracts, and those contracts yeah. are always like a month out. And then as it comes to a close, the price of oil can jump quite drastically because that that contract will close and the new one opens, and it can it, it moves so much. And and that's why personally, I think if you think oil is going to do well, I'd rather go the route of buying, you know, a company like a Chevron or an oil driller. And I, I think they're overpriced right now. Just based off of the fundamentals, but I think that's a much safer route because you can see the balance sheet. You can make sure that company's going to weather it. They'll benefit from the increase of oil, but these types of products, they, they worry me quite a bit. Yep. All right, Russ. Okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I learned a lot just from calling in. Thank you. All right. Anything else? Give us a call. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866 877 
2473. I was going to bring up, uh, you know, last week we had a caller, Tim, calling about the GLDI. Uh, we looked into that a little bit more and, uh, you know, it was a, a gold type option thing. And, and it was another product that wraps in all these options uh, to actually produce you know, returns and so forth. And it was actually an exchange traded note. Um, and, and it's just products like the double short, uh, the yep. double long products. They, they can work very well, but it's just a, it's a huge gamble and people don't understand what's in them. And if things go south, you lose big time. So yep. you just have to be cautious of these products. And if you go into the mentality saying, I, I'm going to take a gamble on it, that's fine. But if you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, I say stay away. Yep. And, and actually, we've talked about many times, uh, gosh, and I've talked to many rich people. I said, if I could earn 8 10% on average per year over 10 years, I would be thrilled. How do you do that? You do that by paying attention to what you're investing in. Don't overpay. Don't get sucked into these crazy things to try to boost your returns. Just buy good quality businesses at low prices. Be patient. You can get a very good return. Again, 8 10%. Some, oh, I could do 40 50%. Well, if you can do that, good. Go ahead. Have well, fun. The issue is when you gamble. <laughs> You, I, you know, you might win big on, on one of them and then you, you put your funds back in to gamble on a new product yeah. and then you lose 90% and then, well, that wipes out your entire game. Exactly. So, so gambling's a, not a long-term successful strategy. No, no. And it feels good when you win, but when you lose, it's not so good. And again, keep in mind that many times you're dealing with your life savings and you, you know, you want something there long-term. So, all right, uh, let's go back to the calls here. Let's go up to Carlsbad and speak with Lance. Lance, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, how you guys doing? I gave this symbol earlier, T-R-U-P. You guys had a chance to look it up? Yeah, we did, yes. So that's uh, Trupanian Incorporated, I believe. Do you hold that, uh, Lance? Uh, well, I tried to short it, but I couldn't. But I, I bought a toy, and it's just, I've been doing a lot of research on it. And, you know, there's a bunch of articles out there and Wall Street Journal. But this stock this could literally be about $10 a share. Okay. Well, yeah, 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 I didn't know it's a very high PE, and and so you're looking at short in this company, which again, we'll just put our disclosure out there. Be careful doing that, but you know, when we look at the analysis, you can actually look at saying yes, this could be good short, but keep in mind there's companies like Amazon that should have been shorted probably back at 1500, and and there's people that shorted it, and and Tesla's another big short that burned people. You got to be careful because nothing can prevent it from going up, and if you're a short you can really get burned bad. But let's go with the numbers for it. Uh, Trupanian Incorporated symbol, T-R-U-P. You are correct. The P-E ratio, 1,260 versus 9.5 for the industry. Price to sales is also expensive, 4.7 versus 0.6. Price to book value, 15.1, well above the industry at 0.6. And then we do see price of cash flow, 283 versus 2.5. So you are correct. The valuation ratios of Trupanian are very, very high. Looking at what they're delivering here, they are delivering some good sales, up 28% year over year. The industry was down 1.5. And also earnings climbed by 166% when the industry was down 21%. Uh, balance sheet looks good, 1.6, same as the industry. Debt equity, 19 versus 27, so that's a positive for the company. Return equity, very low, though, 1.2 versus 6. Net profit margin, also very low, 0.4 versus 6.7. And inventory turnover, 7 Almost the same as the industry at 7.2. Jason, I'm excited to hear about the earnings on this company. Oh, well, to begin, I, I'm going to change the name on you. I think the name is Trupanion because Trupanion. what the company does is it provides medical insurance plans for cats and dogs. So I think it's like a true, companion. It's like true a true companion. companion. Right. I, that's just a guess. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you guys are right. It is definitely 
definitely a pet insurance company. But if, you know, I've got a couple dogs, and if you go online and shop around for pet insurance, yeah. this company's literally 50 to 100% higher, their monthly premiums. It's like $200 to insure a wow. five-year-old wow. dog versus $40 somewhere else. And there's no competitive advantage. The only competitive advantage we have right now is they've got a contract with all these veterinarians where someone brings their dog in $2,000 bill, they will send a payment directly to the vet. So it's not come out of the customer's pocket, but but other companies are going to catch on to that eventually. So I'm just saying it's got no competitive advantage. It's, 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 yeah. It's, it's still dog insurance and That's all they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're totally right. It doesn't seem like that much of a competitive advantage. But, I mean, just kind of looking at the prices here as well, uh, you know, current price, $57.85, 52-week high, $77.52-week low, $20.84. I look out at December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis. Six cents. I mean, this would give us a laughable target sell price of 98 cents. But the, the problem is here, Lance, and the reason I get scared shorting it is, is people right now, they're trading off of trends. So if you buy a company like Trupanion and people are buying more dogs, buying more pets it with this whole move at home trend, I mean, this stock could do very, very well. You short it, you're going to have to keep putting more and more money in. You could be completely wiped out by the time this actually does come back to reality. That's our big concern with shorting, but I completely agree with you. I think this company is way overpriced. Way overpriced and <laughs> totally right. No no, no moat to the business. They're not going to grow because all the dogs I've researched, they, you know, all the dogs that they have in their portfolio is like five or six, seven years old. That's when dogs get expensive. So there's not going to be any growth. Like the average person goes online and shops for a dog or cat insurance. And Lance, and you're, and you're right. I mean, it, it, you know, this, if you short it, though, be careful because there could be a lot of risk yeah, there. No, I, I just Alrighty? Puts are done fine. So all I can lose is my premium. Okay. Just wanted to see you guys out of that. All right. Thanks for calling, Lance. Have a good one. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866 577 Two four seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Todd. Todd, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, fellas. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Todd? Good. Good. Well, I've known. I'll, I'll preface this with I know nothing about money, but I got tuned into your show by listening to the one before you guys about fishing, and you know I've hung on to you. So good. Well, yeah, I'm I appreciate learning. that. <laughs> yeah, so I do have some questions for you. I'm a government employee, and I have a 401A and a 457, and I'm retirement's pending on me in about four years. And the whole thing with COVID, I was worried about funds going up and down, and I've invested in this stuff for about 26 years. Um, so I have most of my stuff is in large cap. I think it's like 80%, and some in small caps, so 10%, some in some high risk, I think at 10 So how should I move forward within the next couple of years? I was worried about this stuff taking a nosedive. Well, let me ask you first off, are you married there, Todd? I am. You're married? Okay. Uh, one thing I'd recommend, because you, you really can't touch your money yet, so you, the big important thing for you is you're about four years away from retirement, what should you do? Uh, what I'd recommend is that we actually have in our office, because we're an investment firm, but we have a financial planner who's a CFP in our office. Uh, he does not sell product. He's on a salary. What he does, he actually builds financial plans for people. I think he is somebody you should talk to now because you're about four years away. You want to make sure you're invested right. You don't need to buy insurance. You don't need to buy annuities. You need someone to kind of guide you, especially since you said you're, and I think you may be great on fishing, but not so good on the, on the money side. So you need <laughs> a financial person in your court to help guide you to and through retirement. So I'd, I'd recommend that. Yeah, and, and right. the, the, the big thing too here, Todd, is, I mean, the, 
problem with mutual funds and so forth is they're all different. All retirement plans have different products and, you know, it's hard to kind of give a broad overview of what to do. I, I will say just kind of a little tidbit here is we are a little bit more cautious right now mm-hmm. than we are normally. Um, if you do have that retirement plan, I, I wouldn't think it's a bad idea to put a little bit more on the money market or the stable value fund or whatever they have in there. Um, just since, especially you're getting close to retirement and things are very, very pricey right now. Just a little bit of uh, information I, I'd say on, on that question you had. Yeah. And, and Tyler, let me give you our phone number at the office. It's uh, 858-546-4306. And then the, our financial planner's name is Harrison. So you can ask for Harrison and then you know, whole separate time for you. And the first consultation is free to see if it does benefit you and your wife. But it's something I think, especially since you say you know very little about money, you don't want to make the wrong decisions and have a terrible retirement because, oh, I, I did the wrong thing. I put too much in the money market. I put too much in high. You, you want someone to kind of guide you. And also, too, start talking about, you know, uh, Social Security, how to do that and everything else. And the other thing you said there, Todd, that that is a, a prime selling point for a lot of annuity people is I'm worried about the market taking a yeah. big dip into retirement that would just be a annuity salesman's dream. So be very cautious of any products or anything out there like that. All right, Todd. Yeah, you know, I don't move anything around. I just kind of leave it there and, and, and hope for the best. <laughs> well, that's why you want the financial planner in your corner because you, you don't want to hope for the best because you could come out like, oh, that was not the best. You want somebody that kind of knows what they're doing to build the plan for you. So uh, I appreciate the advice. Okay, Todd, have a good one. Thanks, All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577. Two four seven three and Chase is so true. I mean, because because we are an investment advisory firm, we 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 manage hundreds of millions of dollars and so forth. But that's why years ago I brought on a financial planner, not to sell product, not to sell annuities, but to really guide people like Todd that they're probably great at what they do. And, and again, I think he enjoys fishing. I, I'm a terrible fisherman. He's probably a great fisherman. But you need somebody that knows finance to actually help you through. And that's why our guy is on a salary. He gets paid a salary. He doesn't get paid any bonuses, commissions. Uh, but we do charge a service fee for that if you decide to go with a plan. So, all right, so we're going to go here. Gosh, I kind of lost track of who was next here. I think we want to go out to uh, San Diego maybe and speak with Ed. Ed, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, I like your show. It's interesting. I like the monologue, uh, dialogue you give before. I think the calls come in. That's pretty, uh, gets people stimulated on stocks. Well, great. I appreciate um, that. So I'm looking for dividend stocks, and this was recommended to me by somebody that's done well in gold and it's P A A. I think it pays 9%, but obviously does it have the earnings to support that dividend? What do you see that you can um, let me know whether to buy it, hold it or sell it? Uh, P A A. Okay. Well, hey, let's take a look at the Plains all American pipeline LP. <clears throat> and, and we got to realize that that appears to be a limited partnership and there's different things with limited partnerships that people don't realize how they can pay out. So we'll, we're going to go with the numbers here first of all. Then we'll talk a little bit more at the end about limited partnerships so you understand how they do work. Uh, unfortunately, no P.E. ratio, which means <laughs> there's no earnings for this company for some reason or this partnership. We do see price of sales 0.19 versus 0.4. Price to book value 0.55 versus 0.39. And you are right. They pay a high dividend of 9.9%. But... The payout ratio is not material because there's no earnings, apparently, that they're paying out from. Now, we do see sales are down 16.6%. Now, that is better than the industry, down 26%. But still, sales and earnings are down. Uh, Earnings are down 175%. Industry down 247%. So, again, not a great thing to have your earnings declining when you're trying to pay out that high dividend. 
We do see the current ratio 0.87 versus 2.71. Debt equity 105 versus 65. That's that's okay, but I would not want to see it go much higher. Uh, we do see return equity is a negative 24% versus the industry a negative 27. Net profit margin a negative 6.8 versus a negative 32. Uh, we see what turnover 12.9 versus 4.8. That's good. Inventory turnover is pretty good as well, uh, 42.9. Versus 13.3. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price for Plains All-American Pipeline Limited Partnership, $7.28. Well off the 52-week high of $22.81, but also well off the 52-week low of $3. But look out to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.34. That would give us a very attractive target sell price of $21.71. I mean, it looks very good from that standpoint. The, the thing is, uh, we talked about the negative earnings at this time. What happened is in 2019, the company made $2.65. So they were doing really, really well. And I'm guessing this pandemic hit and it had a big impact on them. This year, they're estimated to lose $0.48. Cents. So if you dive down into the numbers, this dividend might be very, very sustainable as long as they had cash set aside and can get through this difficult period. And, and, and what I was talking about here, Todd, was, or I, I'm sorry, uh, Ed, Ed uh, is that, and I've not looked at these in a while. These were a big thing years ago. It's another product that Wall Street kind of created and, and people created to do well for the company. And actually we had one refiner that actually had that and they brought it back in because on these dividends, many times it's a return of principal and the taxation on it can be very, very, well, I'll just say very bad because you, you can be paying tax on your own principal and it, 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 they don't work out very well. I'm going to have to recommend because I can't, I can't remember the details of them, but look into this with more detail because is this in a retirement account or, or a regular account? It's regular account, regular yeah. account. Yeah, see, regular account. Uh, and actually, you can probably talk to your tax guy and he can kind of tell you what the tax situation is going to be because I remember, I can't remember the details of it, but I do remember the tax situation on these is not favorable for non-taxable accounts because return of principal and then it, it just it was a crazy thing and that's why I've not seen one of these in years. Yeah, we, we had a... the. the tax guy we work with, he he had a client that had all these limited partnerships oh, yeah. and they produced K-1s and he was like, oh my gosh, it was just a nightmare for the taxes of the client he he had. And it's it's a very complicated structure there. Uh, it's a little bit different than normal equity. So I, I definitely recommend talking to a tax person there, Ed, uh, if, it, if this okay. is something you are considering. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, Ed, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open up the phone line, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Orange County and speak with Mike. Mike, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I sure. tried to sneak in last week, but we got cut short. So well, I'm glad I got uh, my you question this week. Is a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. My question is about AT&T, uh, the symbol Tango. And uh, I bought it with the dip, about 27. Hasn't gone up much, but the dividends held out at least for a while here. And I'm curious if you guys could look at the uh, strength of that dividend over the next year or so. And, and that symbol is T, right? Are you getting uh, Yes, T as in Tango. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my computer just kind of like doesn't like it. <laughs> Are you getting it up? Yeah, I have it. Uh, Jason, I'm going to have to let you take this one because I can't. My computer doesn't want to 
leave uh, Plains All-American Pipeline. I guess I spoke too badly about it. I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, uh, I'll take a look at AT&T here. And uh, I said last week, I, I'm glad you called in because uh, this is one that, that's been of interest to me uh, just with the dip. So current PE here for AT&T. 18.13. It is above the industry average of 14.2. Current price of sales, though, 1.2 compares favorably to the industry average of 1.8. No current price to tangible book value. This is one thing that has concerned us with AT&T. Reason for this, we know about their blockbuster acquisition with a Time Warner. A lot of goodwill, lots of intangibles, and they've also bought other things along the way as well. So really would have to dive down deep into that balance sheet as to what's going on with the goodwill and the intangible assets. Looking at current price to cash flow, that looks very, very strong at 5.1, and the industry average is 5.6. Here's that dividend yield. Wow, 7.01%. I mean, that is just phenomenal and a, a very enticing yield. Now, unfortunately, the dividend payout ratio, 125.7%. So it doesn't appear to be sustainable based off the trailing 12 months of earnings, but I will tell you, maybe they had some write-downs. And the other thing I would take a look at is that price to cash flow looks very good, which tells me their cash flow might be very, very strong, so that dividend could be sustainable. So I, I have concerns about the dividend payout, but I think it could be resolved if you understand that cash flow in more detail. Growth rates, though, uh, sales over the last 12 months, they are down 4.5% compared to last year. And earnings, unfortunately, are down 28% over the same time period. Now, looking at the financial strength of the, the business, current ratio is 0.8, and the total debt to equity doesn't look too bad at 96.1%, and I know that they have been working on paying off that debt. Yeah, I remember years ago, it was like, I think like two, 300 is yeah. terrible. So they've done they've done a, a good thing there, but the issue is if they have to write down any of those acquisitions, and we know with uh, COVID kind of occurring, that's going to hurt the future estimated cash flows for some of these businesses. They might have to take write downs, which would increase that debt to equity. Look at management effectiveness. Return on capital is 2.8. I normally like to see that around 10. And return on equity is just 6.6. Normally I like to see that around 15. The profit margin for this company is 7.5%. Unfortunately, slightly below the industry average at 12.5%. And receivable turnover at 7.8 is stronger than the industry average of 5.8. Unfortunately, nothing there for inventory turnover. And, and I actually did get AT&T, so I'll have to have you figure out the target price because I don't have the computer in front of me. But I do see that AT&T did close on a Friday at $29.69, uh, well off its high of $39.70 and not far away from the 52-week low of $26.08. So I'm kind of liking to see that. Uh, we do see uh, going out to December 2021, uh, EPS on a gap basis looks like it's uh, $2.32. And that gives us a target sell price. Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere around 38, 39. Did you come up with that? Good guess. Yeah, the current estimated target sell price would be 37 dollars and 58 cents. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of like this. I, I, the thing worries me with AT and T is I, I know they had what? Did they buy Dish or somebody? What, what was the? Uh, they bought. I, I know they had the NFL ticket. NFL ticket. And yeah. I, I forget that came from. Was it Dish? No. There was. What's the other one? Uh. There's another. There's another uh, yeah. one with a dish, like a dish. Um, well, There's a satellite TV. <laughs> Do you know Brennan's what? trying to tell us what it is. I can't, he needs to hold us on. <laughs> um, but anyways, whatever it is. That, oh, Direct TV. Oh, yes, Direct that's TV. the one. They, oh, yeah, there, there it is. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I know there's another one out. Yes, they bought Direct TV as well. But. And, and, and that's what you have to understand is, is that asset because we like the dividend at and I kind of wish it even cut it a little bit, maybe go from seven, maybe to five and a half or six, still very attractive, but save them some earnings. 
but I don't understand that asset. And before I invested into it, I would want to understand the problems that they have. And this is one thing that investors don't do very well is they look at all the great stuff and forget about, well, what could blow up on me? And that's what I'm worried about. I mean, we've kind of looked at AT&T for the portfolio. We've talked about it, but we just can't get our arms around the problem that they could have with, we think, DirecTV. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some great potential here, Mike, um, but just there, there's definitely a lot more research with this company because there's a, a lot going on with it. Yeah. All right. Mike. Excellent information, guys. Yes. Uh, excellent information. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Colin. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Warren. Warren, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hi. um, I currently have um, some uh, Valvoline Old Stock, BBV, and uh, I've been sitting on it for some time. I used to work there and trying to find out, is that uh, stock worth keeping or maybe uh, investing more into and uh, see what uh, it looks like there. I, stay, I think they're transitioning a little bit from a oil company to kind of a service company. I want to mm. see what you think of the future there. And I remember Valvoline a long time ago when I was younger and we are doing race cars and stuff. I remember Valvoline was like the big thing, so I was kind of excited to kind of look at this one. Hopefully it's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, coming again is Valvoline Incorporated symbol, VVV. Uh, good start, PE ratio, 18.4 versus not material for the industry. Uh, price of sales, 1.7 versus 1.2. Price to book value, not material versus one for the industry. So I'm disappointed with that. And price of cash flow also is disappointing, 13.9 versus 3.2. And again, valuation ratios, you want them lower than the industry average. They do pay a dividend of 2.1% using 37% of their earnings to pay that out. Now sales were down 1% year over year. The whole industry was down 17%. And unfortunately, earnings are down as well for Valvoline, uh, down 5.7%, industry down 412 uh, not good news here on the balance sheet. <clears throat> we do see a current ratio of 3.2 versus 1.5. That is okay. What's not good is debt to equity is not material versus 85. So I'm wondering here, does their debt exceed the equity or do they have no equity? That's very important to find that out. We do see that return on equity, not material. Again, I think there's no equity of this company, unfortunately, which means you take your liabilities away from your assets, no value to the company. So that would not be a good thing. Net profit mm-hmm. margin is a positive 9.4 versus a negative 52. And then receivable turnover is 5.7 versus 6.3. Inventory turnover checks in at 7.8 versus 9.5. Chase, what about the earnings? Yeah, so current price here for Valvoline, $21.33. And uh, i kind of glad you called about this. I, I didn't know they were a, a public company. Uh, the traded, I've never seen their ticker symbol before, but yeah, I, I just ticker. got my oil changed yeah. by Valvoline uh, <laughs> two weeks ago. So. <laughs> but uh, 52-week high here is $23.90. And it's done very well off the 52-week low of $9.06. I think a lot of people thought maybe driving was going to subside, and now driving is coming back. So that might have some impact on the stock price here. But if I look forward to September 2020, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.51 would give me a target sell price of $24.46. It wouldn't put it in the buy category for us, but it, it would still be a hold if we held it in the portfolio. And I think, too, what this company has become, is, as, as I think you're right, uh, Warren, because they used to be just produced oil and so forth and using race cars and everything else. Uh, now they have the service centers where they change oil. Uh, is that where you went, Chase? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So so that now you're kind of looking at a store. you got a different scenario here. you got to understand that because it may be a good thing, may not be a good thing. I know I, I used to change my oil many years ago. Uh, I don't do that. I mean, these centers are so convenient. 
I'm just kind of wondering if they're profitable because yeah. sometimes you, you don't see anybody there. So, but I, I think if the stock were to fall down to maybe what, 16, 17, it could be a buy, but I'd want to know more about how those retail stores are working uh, with oil. Mm-hmm. And also too, one thing mm-hmm. too, and this is not, we're not here yet, <clears throat> but down the road, we are going to have more electric cars Electric cars don't have oil changes on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Might have to change those service centers into something else. <laughs> That's right. Battery yeah. charging centers or well, something. I don't know. Believe, believe, it, believe it or not, Babbling does make some of the products that go in Tesla. So really, I, well, <laughs> yeah, well, they make a... the antifreeze that goes for the battery to keep the batteries cool. Oh. But it's not an oil chain situation like it would be for oil for uh, oil cars. So not the same. But yeah, see, and then they got to either make them profit off of that, whatever. The, yes. Yeah. So, so that's a great question. But uh, right. a great one. I and again, I have this old nostalgia thing, being back in the days when I'm in the racing industry and so forth, and and uh, changing oil and Valvoline was a big, the big one we changed. <laughs> yep. yep, it was. It's uh, it's been around since 1866. So I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. You're always great. I enjoy listening to you, and you give good information. Thank you. All right. Thanks for being there, Warren. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Well, shoot, I, I looked up. We only got about two minutes left, and I, I always hate, because I like to have the conversation with people, so we're leaving a, a couple of you here, John and Temecula, San Kent and San Diego. You know, please give a call back next week, uh, because we do want to spend time to actually go over the, the businesses that we're actually talking about, because sometimes you get into things, and you look at it, like, we, we wanna, don't want to just run through the numbers uh, and just throw it away. We want to run through the numbers and kind of point out things that you should be looking out for, pro and con. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's very important. Just you can't say, oh, yeah, AT and T. Yeah, sounds great. Looks yep. like a great investment. Yep. You buy it. But, <laughs> you know, that's why I was happy Mike called back again today to, to take a closer look. Yeah, and, and and that's one thing too that we 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 talk about because sometimes if you're new to the show, we do do a lot of numbers. And when you're investing, you're investing by the numbers. I mean, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And we we do look at other things like we've talked about, uh, you know, today. Like understand what with, with Valvoline. Well, what is the the, the that the service center is doing and so forth. But it really comes down to the numbers because when you're investing, you've got to know the numbers. If you don't, you're going to be dead in the water. You're just virtually guessing if you don't know the numbers. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, I kind of felt bad though. We didn't get to talk about uh, the home builders. That was a great thing this past week. Uh, I know some people are listening on, on Facebook or watching on Facebook. Uh, if you're not on our Facebook, you can go to, to our Facebook, what is a Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Um, also to our newsletter, Chase, uh, we got this great newsletter that goes out uh, every Friday. You can get that at our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000. Yeah, and the other thing you can do at the website is you don't feel comfortable coming on air and asking a question. Feel free to either send us an email or, or you can submit a question. We've had people do that as well. Submit us a question. Say, hey, um, are you looking at buying this stock or I have the stock? Thinking about selling it. What should I do with it? Always feel free to comment on our website. I think there's a website submission form you can fill out and we're more than happy to take a look for you yep. on the radio show. Yep. And I want to thank all the callers that call in and so forth. And again, if you are, ah, I don't want to go on air because I might say something wrong or something. As Chase just said, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. And there's a lot of other great information there as well uh, that we put there for people. So it's a, it's really there to help you out. More information here. And then every Saturday at 9 o'clock here in San Diego, we do the Smart Investing Show. Been doing it for 27 years. And I, I was saying I'd like to do it for another 27 years. That does make me kind of old, but I'm going to push I'll for see. it. <laughs> you might have to take over that time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- 
646-436-4306. And again, visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information tips, uh, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters. Closing song, My Way, is performed by local entertainer, Roman Palacios. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. And may I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.